Good afternoon, colleagues. We're going to be begin business today, as usual, with First Minister's questions, and it is current custom. I'm going to invite the First Minister to update us on the COVID situation. First Minister. Uh, thanks, Presiding Officer. I'll give a very short update on today's statistics and uh, recent developments. The total number of positive cases reported yesterday was 1,089. That's 4.6 per cent of all uh, tests reported. Uh, the total number of cases is therefore now 85,612. There are 1,212 people in hospital, uh, 29 fewer than yesterday, and 85 people in intensive care. That is three fewer than yesterday. Um, I also regret to report that in the past 24 hours, a further 50 deaths were registered of patients who tested positive in the previous 28 days. Uh, the total number of deaths under that daily measurement is now 3,427. And once again, I convey my deepest condolences to everyone who has lost a loved one. Uh, we will also shortly publish the latest estimate of the R number in Scotland. Uh, we expect that it will show the R number uh, now to be very slightly below one. Uh, that indicates that the current tough, tough measures that have been in place have had an effect. Uh, however, the overall national situation, which the R number estimate reflects, does of course mask some regional variations. In those parts of the country with the highest prevalence, we've not yet seen as significant or as rapid a fall in cases as we need to. Uh, that's why uh, we have taken the decision to move 11 local authority areas into level four from 6 p.m. tomorrow until Friday 11th December. Uh, that decision, of course, was a difficult one to make, but even more difficult uh, for many businesses and individuals uh, to hear. Uh, but in the situation we face, in common with much of the rest of the world, the job of government must be to do what is necessary to save lives and protect health, even when we know these decisions will not be welcome. And in our judgment and that of the experts who advise us, these temporary measures are necessary to reduce loss of life and serious illness, to ensure that hospitals and intensive care facilities are able to treat COVID and non-COVID patients over the winter and to allow people, albeit in a limited and careful way, the prospect of being able to spend some time with loved ones over the Christmas period. So difficult though it is, I ask people to abide uh, by the rules to keep themselves and their families safe and also as part of our collective efforts to get through the rest of this pandemic with as little harm to health and loss of life as possible. Anyone who's in any doubt about the regulations that apply in their area should visit uh, the Scottish Government's website and use the postcode checker. But uh, let me close just with a summary of the advice and rules in place. Uh, with the exception of people in Orkney, Shetland and the Western Isles, uh, no one should visit others' homes at the moment except for essential purposes. Outdoors or in indoor public places, we should meet in groups of no more than six people from a maximum of two households. Uh, slightly more relaxed rules for outdoor meetings come into force today in the level one areas, but the basic rule remains six from two. Of course, travel restrictions continue to be vital uh, right now. Some of these restrictions will become law from tomorrow evening. Uh, more detailed information about them can, of course, be found on the Scottish Government website. Uh, finally, I ask everyone to remember the facts advice. Uh, wear face coverings, avoid crowded places, clean your hands and hard surfaces, regularly keep a two-metre distance from people in other households and self-isolate and get tested immediately if you have any COVID symptoms. Uh, my thanks again to everyone who are following all of these rules. Thank you very much, First Minister. Now, the First Minister will take questions. I would encourage all members who wish to ask a supplementary question to press their buttons as soon as possible. And I call on Ruth Davidson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. 
Last month, I asked the First Minister to look at a Christmas loneliness plan so that no one was left sitting alone at the Christmas table. I am pleased at reports of Four Nations discussions to make it easier, no matter where your family lives, of some kind of meeting. But Christmas is only five weeks away. We have to treat the public like grown-ups and let them into government thinking so that they can plan for themselves. So can I ask the First Minister to give people at home more information on how those Four Nation talks are progressing and a fuller sense of what is being considered by her government for this festive time? First Minister. Um, I took part uh, yesterday, uh, late afternoon yesterday, in a Four Nations discussion uh, with Michael Gove from the UK Government, the First Minister of Wales uh, and the First Minister of Northern Ireland. Uh, amongst other things, we discussed uh, the Christmas period and how we could come to a sensible, and I stress sensible and safe plan that will allow people not 100% normality over Christmas, but a greater degree of normality, and in particular, the ability to spend some time with loved ones. Uh, from that meeting yesterday, uh, we uh, charged our officials, uh, advised by our respective chief medical officers, to put together um, a concrete proposal that we will then consider um, and hopefully um, announce the detail of uh, in the coming days. Uh, I would hope, although uh, obviously we need to, to wait to see what that proposal is, uh, I would hope we can share that with the public over the course of next week. We are all determined, uh, if possible, that we come to a Four Nations agreement given family patterns across the UK. And we're all determined, I think, to, as best as we possibly can, strike the right balance between the understandable desire, which I share, to see family over the Christmas period, which is so special to so many of us, but also to do that in a way that does not lead to increased loss of life and increased uh, harm to health over the January period. That is not going to be an easy balance to strike. Um, and already I hear people expressing concerns that we are even considering that kind of relaxation, but it's important that we try to get that balance right and we will continue uh, to do that work. Uh, more broadly, we are working with the Older People's Strategic Action Forum and plans to support older people over uh, the winter. Uh, that will include, of course, uh, over uh, the Christmas uh, period. We've already announced uh, additional funding to local and national organisations that support older people, for example, Generations Working Together, the Scottish Pensioners Forum, Outside the Box, Hourglass and Age Scotland. Um, we know that Christmas uh, will be particularly difficult for older people and indeed for anybody who is on their own. And we are considering the proposal that was put forward uh, during an earlier debate in the Parliament about a specific Christmas loneliness campaign. And we'll announce uh, more detail of that uh, shortly. Ruth Davison. I thank the First Minister for that answer. We all understand that relaxing the rules for any period, even a day, comes with consequences and will require mitigations if it is to work at all. Yesterday, the Government Advisor, Dr Susan Hopkins, said the SAGE advice previously suggested that for every day we release, we will need five days of tighter restrictions. Can I ask the First Minister, does she recognise that figure of five days of tightened restrictions for every day of festive relaxation? And is that five to one ratio part of the Scottish Government's planning? First Minister. Uh, not specifically. Um, so I understand that that is uh, something uh, that uh, has been discussed in what detail I am not yet sure by SAGE and I have not yet seen uh, the, the minutes of the, the meeting of SAGE uh, that I understand that was discussed at. I am 
uh, seeking uh, right now advice from uh, my uh, public health advisers, obviously principally the Chief Medical Officer, um, about the basis for uh, that view, uh, whether, for example, uh, that calculation of five days for every one day of relaxation would be if there was a complete and total relaxation, and whether it would be less if the relaxation was more minimal, which I think it is likely uh, to be. So we are interrogating that right now. The reason why all four governments asked for a proposal to come forward that was fully informed by advice of the Chief Medical Officers is to make sure that we factor in all of that kind of uh, analysis and assessment. Um, I don't underestimate uh, what a difficult balance uh, this will be for all of us to strike. Um, I uh, want people to have a degree of normality over Christmas, uh, but I don't, want, um, I don't want to be in the position of having to announce numbers or the country having to uh, live with more bereaved families and uh, a death toll that could have been avoidable uh, if we get this balance wrong. So we will take great care, listen to advice and ultimately, hopefully, arrive at judgment that we all think is a safe and sensible one. Ruth Davison. The reason that I asked about the five to one ratio is I think that most people need to be prepared for what's coming. Uh, and the restrictions that millions of Scots in tier three and four are living under now were explained to us as suppressing the virus, yes, for its own sake, but also to allow us hope of some form of contact this Christmas. And what we need to know now is whether those current restrictions actually are the price for a relaxation this Christmas, or whether that bill will be paid by us all in the new year. Whether it is, as the SAGE team advises, five days of restrictions for one day of relaxation or some other number, we all want to know whether the current good work is enough or do we have to start preparing ourselves now for a January shutdown too? First Minister. Um, look, I'll try to set this out, uh, I hope, over the course of the next week or so, and I hope in uh, common with others across the UK. And as I have sought to do all along, I'll try to be pretty straight with people about what the trade-offs uh, are that we have to make in so many aspects of, of handling this pandemic. Um, and what that means in January, when I, uh, as First Minister, advised by those who advise me, uh, have a deeper understanding of that, I will set that out clearly. I, I'm not going to speculate right now on a five days for every one day, because I have not seen uh, what underpins uh, that particular uh, opinion that has been expressed and that is what I um, will work through with, with others over the next few days. What I do know, uh, and I've set this out uh, clearly, is that in order for us even to be in the space of being able to uh, propose some degree of flexibility, in particular parts of the country, unfortunately the most populated parts of the country, we must get infection levels uh, lower than they are now. And that's the reason for the level four restrictions that will take place in 11 local authority areas tomorrow. Rather, that's one of the reasons, it's not the only reason. But there are two aspects to that. Firstly, when we have infection levels at a stable but high level, as we do across the central belt right now, any increase would very quickly uh, overwhelm potentially our National Health Service. So we've got to get it down for that reason, because we know, and whether it's in the way SAGE has set out or in some other way, we know people coming together over Christmas will increase the, the transmission risk. But the other reason to get infection levels down now is that if there are fewer people by the time we get to Christmas in the population who have COVID, then by definition, there is a lower risk of people getting together and one person in that group having the virus and therefore passing it on. So for both of these reasons, we give ourselves uh, the ability to perhaps ease a bit over Christmas in a safer way uh, 
than we would if infection levels remained at the level they are right now. So that is the, one of the reasons for the restrictions we are taking now. If relaxing, uh, relaxing at Christmas uh, involves uh, any implications in January, then of course we will set that out fully. But I want to make sure we have fully considered and understood all of those implications so that what we set out to the public uh, is full and is delivered uh, in as straight and open a way as possible. Ruth Davis. The First Minister has rightly listened to representations from across this chamber regarding the position of students this Christmas, bringing in mass testing to allow them to return to their families, and we support it. But will the First Minister also agree that students are not the only group that are required to spend significant time away from the family home? Scotland is home to 10,000 uniformed military personnel. Will she agree to making the same arrangements for soldiers, airmen, sorry, soldiers, sailors and the RAF as she has for students and make sure that our troops get home this Christmas. First Minister. Um, obviously, any arrangements for testing would be for the MOD to decide, and we will work with the MOD, and if we can uh, facilitate that, we will do so. There was a story um, in the newspapers uh, earlier this week, or in a newspaper, uh, I should say, earlier this week, to the effect that somehow soldiers in Scotland were under different rules than soldiers elsewhere in uh, the UK about going home for Christmas. That is absolutely not the case. Uh, soldiers uh, stationed in Scotland uh, in barracks, barracks are working workplaces, uh, nothing in the rules in Scotland prevent them travelling home. Um, and that is the case in Scotland, as it is across the UK. We said we would make that clear to the MOD, um, and that has been done. And I don't think, uh, apart from perhaps in the minds of the newspaper who reported it, there is any uh, dubiety um, about uh, that. Uh, so that is uh, the position. Uh, and we will continue to work across different sectors to make sure uh, that there are uh, arrangements in place for people uh, to take safe and informed decisions uh, about how they behave over Christmas as they do in the other times of the year. Question number two, Richard Leonard. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. Tomorrow, a travel ban will become law. It is a law that Parliament will have barely scrutinised, let alone voted on. The ban will mean that people in levels three and four will be acting criminally if they travel outside their local council area for anything other than essential journeys. The same is true of those travelling into levels three and four areas. Is the First Minister confident that by six o'clock tomorrow night, everyone will have a sufficient knowledge and full understanding of what constitutes an essential journey to act in accordance with the law? Well, as I have done um, every single day over this pandemic, I will do my best to make sure people have an understanding of the guidance that's in place, the rules that are in place, um, and how they abide by these rules. But what I also say, and I say it, I think I've already said it in the chamber today, and I will say it again right now, anybody who is in any doubt can go on to the Scottish Government website and look at the rules, and also in the case of travel restrictions, what the exemptions uh, to those restrictions are in summary uh, the uh, travel restrictions uh, which I think we all understand the reason for them um, and you know they've been in place uh, previously in this pandemic in Wales for example um, but the travel restrictions have uh, an exemption where if somebody has a reasonable excuse to be travelling uh, that uh, exempts them from uh, the restrictions and the regulations give a number of examples known exhaustively uh, of what that reasonable uh, excuse might be so we will continue to take the steps uh, the government takes through the daily media briefings through uh, 
parliamentary uh, occasions like uh, this one through our advertising uh, campaigns to make sure people have an awareness, uh, but we also make the information available for people to go and check as well. Richard Leonard. Uh, can I thank the First Minister for that answer, especially her uh, commitment that the list of exemptions is not an exhaustive list of exemptions? Because yesterday, the Cabinet Secretary for External Affairs told an incredulous public and a committee of this Parliament that while international travel continues to be perfectly legal, travelling to the airport may be a criminal act. Let me describe what this means to one family. Lindsay Page lives in Fife. She has stage four cancer. She is just 38 years old. She has a family holiday in Tenerife booked with her seven-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter. I spoke to Lindsay this morning. She told me that the family have had a tough year and that this holiday would be a nice memory for us. She said, it is a precious time with the family which we will never get back. They are due to fly out from Edinburgh a week today, only by then it will be illegal for her to travel to the airport. So First Minister, what is your advice today to Lindsay Page? First Minister. Uh, I wrote to Lindsay this morning, uh, clarifying the situation. She wrote to me last night to outline uh, her situation, which is indeed tragic, and my heart um, goes out to her, as I'm sure the heart of each and every one of us does. Uh, she asked me for clarity on whether she can go um, on one final holiday with her family. As I say, I have written back to her today, advising her that under the regulations, anyone in a situation like hers can go uh, on a final holiday. Uh, as I've already said, the travel restrictions come with a general exemption where people have what is termed in law a reasonable excuse. Uh, the regulations give a list of examples of what a reasonable excuse might be, but as I've said already, it is not exhaustive. However, there should be no doubt uh, that Mrs Page would absolutely meet that exemption because one of the explicit examples given on the face of the regulations is, and I quote, travel for compassionate reasons which relate to the end of a person's life. Uh, Lindsay's situation is tragic, but on both compassionate and indeed on legal grounds, she can go on her holiday and I wish her and her family well. Richard Leonard. Thank you and uh, thank you for that undertaking. I'm sure that will be uh, greatly welcomed and uh, the compassion that lies behind it is something which I'm sure that we all uh, approve of. Can, can I say in a general sense though that people do want a government that is working with them on things like the travel restrictions not against them, that the overwhelming majority of people are just trying to keep up with regulations in order to follow them. But the best case scenario, but the best case scenario as it stands is that this travel ban will confuse them. The worst case scenario is it will criminalise them. The travel ban is a red herring. Instead, the First Minister must take action on some of the things members of this Parliament and the people have been calling for like a properly resourced test and protect system, like appropriate PPE for our doctors and healthcare workers, like safer schools for our children and school staff and teachers, like the comprehensive testing of departing and returning students, like additional support for our businesses and working people, like routine testing for all frontline workers, and like a public inquiry into our care homes. I raise these issues because, as I have repeatedly said, 
it is in all of our interest for the government to get this right. So, First Minister, will you admit that you have not got this right? And before it's too late, will you rethink the travel ban and its application? First Minister. Um, I have all along said I have not got everything right and will not get everything right, and I'll continue to try to get things right and be candid uh, when we don't. But I will, all, I, I will also take uh, the actions that I consider, um, and people are entitled to disagree, are necessary to keep the country as safe as possible. In a situation like this, it is absolutely incumbent on somebody like me to do my level best to do the right things and the necessary things, even if these are not always popular or welcome things. I would be failing in my responsibility if I didn't do that. Uh, on travel restrictions, um, we have a situation in Scotland where a significant proportion of the population from tomorrow evening will go into the highest level of restrictions, and I've set out the reasons for that. But unlike the situation, and I'm making no criticisms here, Unlike the situation in England, unlike the situation a few weeks ago in Wales, we are so far avoiding uh, a national one-size-fits-all level of restrictions because we don't think if we can avoid it, it's right for areas with low rates of the virus to have the same restrictions as areas with higher rates of the virus. But in order to maintain that proportionate targeted approach, we must avoid taking the virus from higher prevalence areas to lower prevalence areas or having people from lower prevalence areas going to higher prevalence areas and taking the virus back so that prevalence there goes up. Let me perhaps uh, sum it up uh, in uh, this way. Levels of the virus have risen. Uh, people uh, living in those areas are not able to travel beyond their local boundary without a reasonable excuse. This is designed to prevent the spread of infection within the country and to other parts of the UK. I am determined to keep the country safe. That was the Labour First Minister of Wales when he introduced statutory legal travel restrictions in Wales. He was right because he is determined to keep his country safe and I am as determined as he is to keep my country as safe as I possibly can. Question 3, Alison Johnson. Thank you. The First Minister has welcomed scrutiny of her government's response to the pandemic and the Scottish Greens, as always, are committed to playing a constructive role in opposition. And of course, being part of being open to scrutiny is listening to the will of Parliament. This Parliament has called for a public inquiry into what happened in our care homes. This Parliament has twice backed my calls for regular testing of NHS and care staff. And yesterday, this Parliament backed Green Calls for the Scottish Government to do more to keep our schools safe. So can I ask when the First Minister will respond to the will of Parliament, when will her Government act on yesterday's urgent call for more teachers in our schools, more support for vulnerable school staff and regular Covid tests for staff and senior pupils? First Minister. Um, on the motion that was passed yesterday, of course, we'll consider the terms of that. In terms of extra teachers, well, let me, let me just outline a, a really important point here. Uh, we've already funded 1,400 additional teachers in our schools uh, in order to help deal with the COVID pandemic. Uh, the Green motion yesterday asked for uh, an additional, I think, 2,000 uh, teachers. Now, I accept that the opposition can pass these motions. That is entirely legitimate. But the, the responsibility of government means determining how we fund that, 
where we find the teachers from, and that involves a lot of hard work and proper consideration, which is what we will do. On testing, we have already expanded testing to a range of different groups. The Health Secretary will make a statement to Parliament next week, setting out not just the next steps of our PCR testing programme, but also how we're going to use the lateral flow uh, testing technology to get rapid testing to groups of the population. We've already set out our plans for students. Uh, we will also use lateral flow testing to extend testing into more groups of NHS staff. Uh, we hope that we can do that in other groups of the population and those who work in our schools, for example, uh, we think are a priority for that. We will also set out plans for geographic uh, mass testing in parts of the country with high rates of prevalence. So we will continue uh, to do the, the hard work that is necessary to turn uh, what we all want to see happen into reality. Uh, that's the responsibility of government and it's one we all take very seriously indeed. Alison Johnson. Thank you. Um, two and a half thousand staff absences have been reported in schools in recent weeks, so it's clear that action is urgently needed. Now, testing helps us identify who needs to self-isolate, but the Scottish Government's own evidence suggests that compliance with self-isolation is low. It may be as low as one in four people. And many people simply can't afford to self-isolate or to step away from important caring responsibilities, or they don't have the space at home. On the 27th of May, I asked the First Minister what support will be made available to those who need to isolate. For example, will accommodation such as hotel rooms be offered free to those who need them? She replied, the short answer to that question is yes. And the evidence has long been clear that providing hotels for isolation significantly increases compliance, as New Zealand has found. Indeed, they also provide meals, medical care and laundry services free of charge. So can the First Minister tell me how many people have been provided hotel rooms for self-isolation since May? And can she commit today to ensuring that anyone who needs a hotel room to self-isolate will be given one? First Minister. Uh, what happens uh, now, and a lot has happened uh, since May, not least the self-isolation uh, support payment that people can now apply for, which we are looking to see whether we can enhance and extend to other groups. But we have set up, um, uh, through local authorities, an outreach service so that uh, everybody, uh, starting with those in the, the lowest income and most vulnerable groups, uh, get uh, a call when they are advised to self-isolate so that their individual needs can be uh, properly assessed. So we will continue to assess whether uh, there are uh, accommodation needs or whether there are other needs that can uh, be met. Uh, and we will again, just as we will with uh, support for schools, just as we will with the rollout of testing, we will continue to enhance uh, the support we can provide for those uh, who are being asked to self-isolate, given the importance uh, of that uh, particular intervention to help and control the spread. Thank you. Question number four, Willie Rennie. Liberal Democrats secured a commitment from the government for 800 dedicated mental health professionals. They were for doctor surgeries, A&E, but also for the police to help them with the increasing numbers of incidents that involve mental health. Three years on, only 12 of those mental health professionals have been allocated to the police. That is truly pitiful. Why is the government not supporting our police with the enormous mental health challenges that they face? First Minister. Um, I don't have in front of me right now, I don't think, uh, the up-to-date figures on the allocation of the 800 additional professionals, but I will make sure I, I send that to Willie Rennie in terms of how that is allocated overall and uh, to particular services. We support our 
uh, police service in uh, a number of ways. We have protected uh, numbers of police officers. We have uh, increased funding uh, through the uh, most recent budgets uh, for the police service. And of course, Police Scotland uh, works in a range of different ways to support the mental health of police officers. And we will continue to do that across police, teachers, the NHS in particular. Uh, the pressures of COVID will have raised uh, significantly the mental health uh, pressures uh, that these public servants are working under. And we will continue to ensure that we are doing everything we can to respond to that. Willie Rennie. Uh, those were the up-to-date numbers. I can assure her of that. And it's just 12, and it's just not good enough. Police Scotland's Demand and Productivity Unit undertook a mental health survey. The new report, to be published at the police board meeting next week, has some staggering findings. 40% of those in police custody have experienced poor mental health. And the average time that it takes, the average time, to handle a mental health-related incident is seven hours and 20 minutes. A year ago, I asked the First Minister about shocking mental health within the police service. Now we find that police officers don't even get the support they need to help other people. So can I ask her again, why does the First Minister think it is acceptable for Police Scotland to receive just 12 mental health professionals? And will she do something about it? First Minister. There's a range of different ways in which the police uh, are supported uh, on mental health issues, and we will continue to take uh, steps to enhance that where that is necessary. The well-being of police officers is, of course, uh, one of the uh, principal responsibilities of the uh, Chief Constable. If we look at absence rates for police officers, they are uh, lower uh, in terms of the, the current absence rates lower uh, than for the equivalent period uh, last year. Uh, police officers and staff are able to access a range of services to care for both physical and mental health. Uh, that includes through Police Scotland's Your Wellbeing Matters programme. Uh, police Scotland was one of the first police services in the UK to implement mental health and suicide intervention training for all officers. Uh, we've provided funding to extend the Lifelines Scotland Wellbeing programme to all blue light responders. That includes uh, the police, obviously, uh, and that provides tailored online resources uh, for uh, responders, volunteers and indeed their family uh, members. Uh, we uh, provide funding for other initiatives as well, uh, including to help with the introduction of wellbeing uh, champions. So there's a range of different ways in which we support the police to look after the mental health of their officers and indeed support staff. And we will continue to have dialogue with the Chief Constable to ensure that we are supporting them in whatever ways uh, we possibly can. Thank you. Question number five, Christine Graham. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer, though my question is somewhat preempted by events, to ask the First Minister whether the Scottish Government will consider putting travel restrictions into regulations in light of reports that COVID-19 transmission rates are not slowing down sufficiently and in some areas are increasing again. First Minister. Um, as I uh, set out in the Chamber on Tuesday, uh, we will put travel restrictions into regulation from uh, tomorrow. Uh, this will apply to travel uh, within Scotland and also to uh, travel to other parts of the UK and common travel area. This action is not taken lightly, but as I've set out already today, it is essential to prevent spreading the virus from high to low prevalence areas. Um, and it is that that allows us, I hope, to continue to avoid a one-size-fits-all uh, set of restrictions for the whole country. And I would ask people, difficult though it is, to abide by these travel restrictions. Christine Graham. I thank the First Minister for her answer. 
Unlike Richard Leonard, I and most of my constituents welcome making travel restrictions subject to legal enforcement, in particular because my constituency covering the borders and Midlothian is now level two, thanks to the efforts of folk there, and adjacent Edinburgh, however, is at level three. Yet just over the city boundary into Midlothian, we have major retail outlets, for example, Dobie's, Ikea, Costco and Straighton Retail Park. How will travel from Edinburgh to such places be monitored? Because purchasing a tray of winter pansies or wine glasses and cushions, while completely understandable, can hardly be considered essential, and that unessential travel will spread the virus. First Minister. Uh, Christine Graham raises really important and fundamental points here, and I, I do want to just take a moment again to, to underline the reasons for these travel restrictions. Um, we are seeking to avoid a national lockdown. Um, and the only way to have a proportionate targeted approach where people living in areas where the levels of the virus are lower don't have to live under the restrictions that are designed for areas with much higher levels is to limit people's travel across the country. That's unpalatable. It's not something anybody wants to have to live with, but it is one of the trade-offs to try to avoid a one-size-fits-all lockdown, as is in place in many other countries and indeed other parts of the UK right now and uh, I would ask people to uh, consider that and even if they don't agree with travel restrictions because people are entitled uh, to take uh, uh, that view if, if they want but to understand the reasons uh, for them. Uh, as I've already covered today there will be a range of exceptions uh, for essential travel uh, that will include travel for work, education, healthcare and essential shopping if it is not possible within your local authority area. Um, people should uh, use online shopping or shops, banks and other services in their local area wherever they can. Uh, we want to see uh, these new laws work as we have done on every uh, aspect of this right throughout the pandemic through high levels of public compliance and we have had very high levels of public compliance and I'm deeply grateful to the public for that. We don't want to rely on enforcement. Uh, enforcement will be a last resort and as is the case with uh, face coverings and other aspects of the coronavirus regulations. The police have enforcement powers. There is a fixed penalty regime that apply and the police, I am sure, will use that uh, as sensitively and as proportionately as they have all of these regulations throughout the pandemic so far. Thank you. Question number six, Graham Simpson. Thank you. To ask the First Minister when the Scottish Government expects a free port to open in Scotland. First Minister. Well, the first thing I think it's really important to be clear about is that free ports can't and will not offset the damage that is being and will be caused by Brexit, which has taken Scotland uh, and the UK out of the world's biggest free trade area and single market. And of course, in Scotland's case, it's doing it completely against our will. Uh, in Scotland and the part of this Scottish Government, we want to build a high productivity, high wage, innovative economy. We remain concerned that the focus of Free ports may be on low-cost, low-wage, low-value opportunities uh, with which they are sometimes associated globally. Uh, so for these reasons, we have not yet made a final decision on whether or not to support designation of free ports in Scotland. Uh, we will want to uh, look carefully at the UK Government's proposal in order to ensure that they can work with our ambition for a low-carbon wellbeing economy that also targets investments geographically and strategically. Uh, now that there are some more details of the UK Government's proposals available, we will take the views of stakeholders and partners in the public and private sectors um, and we will make uh, the results of this survey work uh, available and it will be crucial in informing our response. Graeme Simpson. 
Well, can I thank the First Minister for that answer? She'll be aware that in England the bidding process opened this week uh, for Freeport status, but not here, as she's just said. Um, there's a lot of interest in Scotland in having Freeport status. The first uh, are expected to open in England next year. Um, yesterday I spoke to management at the port of Cromarty Firth, uh, and in contrast to what the First Minister has just said, they told me that Freeport status there could deliver high-tech, high-skilled and high-wage jobs, and they describe it as a tremendous opportunity. If Scotland doesn't act in sync with the rest of the UK on this, we stand to lose jobs to the rest of the UK. Will the First Minister get on board with this? First Minister. Well, we'll consider whether we think it's in the best interests of Scotland. Uh, that's what having a Scottish Parliament and a Scottish uh, Government is all about. I know the Conservatives think that's been a disaster, but actually the majority of people in Scotland think it is the right thing uh, for us. Uh, we will uh, discuss with stakeholders um, and uh, we will come to the right decision. Uh, I'm I have to say, sceptical from uh, the perspective of the Conservative Government about their commitment to a high-value, high-tech uh, economy as opposed to a race to the bottom. Uh, but if we think the proposals are consistent with our ambitions for um, a, a high-wage, high-productivity, innovative economy, uh, then we'll support them. If we don't, uh, we won't. But we will take the views of a range of stakeholders in coming to that decision. But what is beyond any doubt is the looming threat to Scotland is the end of the Brexit transition period, either with no deal or such a flimsy deal uh, that it will cause chaos to our businesses, the length and breadth of the country. And that, frankly, is on the Tories. Question seven, Pauline McNeill. Thank you. To ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the report caught in a COVID trap by the Resolution Foundation, which says that almost a third of families who have experienced a reduction in income due to the pandemic are struggling to afford to heat their homes or buy fresh vegetables? First Minister. Uh, the pandemic has had a significant financial impact on families, uh, and to help mitigate that, the Scottish Government has already provided uh, significant financial support. For example, we have made over £130 million available to tackle food insecurity and ensure that there will be free school meal provision during holiday periods uh, right through to Easter. Uh, last year, we invested £1.96 billion to support low-income households, and I'm pleased that we have uh, very recently opened applications for the new Scottish child payment. As the Resolution Foundation notes, though, the UK Government must also play its part, and I hope that the Chancellor will make sure next week's spending review provides adequate support for families, starting with making permanent the vital £20 uplift in universal credit. Pauline McNeill. Thank you to the First Minister for that answer. I believe that we may only be seeing the tip of the iceberg. Many on furlough have seen a drop in pay over eight months, and that's been crippling for those on the lowest pay and the lowest incomes. And I think we all know we're on the edge of mass job losses. There are also people in zero-hour contracts who can't be forgotten about who didn't get furlough. And in fact, there's a deep inequality, I think, in some of the ways in which support both in the UK and Scotland has transpired. And because of that, I would ask the First Minister, firstly, if there could be an early analysis of who's actually lost income in the last eight months. But on the Scottish Child Payment, which Scottish Labour welcomes, and we know that 28,000 people applied for that on the first day in which it was open at the start of this month. But I'd like to ask the First Minister, in order to give families a boost in income, would the First Minister consider backdating the Scottish Child Payments to the start of November 
for all those who apply before the end of February when the first payments will be made. So no matter when they apply. I know this has been put to the Cabinet Secretary for Social Security and she said it's quite a complex one. But what I'm putting to the First Minister today, there would be a simple way to do it. But I'd like to ask the First Minister if it at least be considered. Thank you. First Minister. Um, it is complex both for legal and practical issues, so this is not um, about desirability, but we are looking uh, very closely at ways in which uh, we can further help uh, low-income families, particularly over the coming winter period, and we will set out some uh, further proposals on that uh, shortly. Of course, we will continue uh, to look at the particular suggestions around the, the Scottish Child Payment, but I, I, I don't want to uh, underplay the complexities in that. But we will have uh, more to say uh, shortly about how we're going to provide additional support for low-income families, and we'll continue to do what we can to assess the equalities impacts of everything that is happening right now, and make sure as far as possible that the support we provide is as targeted as it can be to those in need. The definition of those in need is changing, of course, as the impacts of the pandemic um, are felt. Uh, there are people who uh, would not uh, have described themselves in financial uh, difficulty just a few months ago who will now be in a very difficult, uh, different and difficult situation. So we need to take account of that as we design uh, our policies over the short, medium and long term. Thank you. We move on to supplementaries. Angela Constance, who joins us remotely, to be followed by Jackson Carlo. Angela Constance. Thank you very much, Riding Officer. First Minister, there is considerable disappointment uh, in West Lothian about moving to Tier 4 restrictions. Uh, but nonetheless, the, the West Lothian community will continue to pull together to protect our NHS and to save lives. But right now, we need three things from our government. Firstly, a clear statement about all the facts and factors specific to West Lothian about why this decision has been made. Given that historically we've had a lower incidence rate and there's the perception that we may have been a borderline case in the government's considerations. And secondly, can the First Minister outline the support that will be available over the next three weeks? And thirdly, and most importantly, can she give us some hope for the future that there are indeed better days to come? Thank you. First Minister. Um, can I thank Angela Constance for the question? Um, I'll take the uh, three parts of the question in turn as briefly as I can. Uh, on the first part about the rationale and reasons for the decision, uh, over the weekend uh, and in the course of Monday and uh, into Tuesday morning when Cabinet decided. An assessment was made by the National Incident Management Team and more broadly by the Scottish Government's Four Harms uh, group of the most recent clinical data and uh, the data for the basket of indicators uh, that we set out. Uh, that included consideration by uh, chief advisers. Um, over the past week, uh, West Lothian has not shown uh, any sustained improvement in the number of cases or in the case positivity rate. Both of these indicators remain stubbornly above the national average and uh, people in West Lothian can go and look at uh, the analysis that was published on Tuesday on the Scottish Government's website that looks at the latest uh, data uh, for the West Lothian Council area. That will be updated next Tuesday and I hope we will see improvement. Uh, but it, 
one of the reasons uh, for some of these council areas uh, that have stabilised but at a very high level is to try to use level four uh, to get them down more quickly uh, so that they end up spending less time in level three and can go to a lower level uh, much more uh, quickly. Um, on the second part of the question, we set out on Tuesday, businesses across West Lothian will have access to the grant scheme um, and uh, West Lothian uh, Council will have access to the additional discretionary fund uh, to help businesses over and above the grant scheme where they think that is necessary. West Lothian will also have a share of the £15 million fund that we will make available for social and community support for council areas in level four. Um, and there are discussions ongoing uh, between Scottish Government officials and councils about the allocation of that funding. Uh, for the business support, the grant support uh, is already open for applications uh, for businesses. And in terms of hope, I, I think in, in some ways this is perhaps easier to answer for uh, West Lothian right now because uh, I'm touching the wooden desk in front of me here, assuming no significant deterioration between now and then. As of Tuesday next week, uh, Mid Lothian and East Lothian will go down a level because their uh, data has been uh, declining uh, in, in a more sustainable way. So um, there are various factors. Much of this, uh, this is not about people's fault in any way, shape or form. There are different travel patterns. There are different population densities in many of these council areas, which will feed into these figures. Uh, but what we will see, uh, I hope, uh, next week through East Lothian and Mid Lothian is that when we start to see numbers go down, uh, the levels go down as well and people can live uh, with fewer restrictions. The final point I would make, though, for those councils uh, now or in the future that go down a level is that that doesn't mean we can uh, ease up and think that the risk is passed. When there are fewer restrictions, there are more opportunities for the virus to spread. So it becomes more important for everybody uh, to abide by the rules in place in their own area. But I would hope um, in the weeks to come, uh, we'll see best, uh, better news for West Lothian, as we will see better news for the whole country uh, and for those other councils in level four as well. Thank you. Can I encourage colleagues not to ask three-part questions, however? Jackson Carlaw to be followed by Daniel Johnson. Um, presiding officer, similarly, over the last 48 hours, the reality of Tuesday's confirmation of level four status has settled on my Eastwood constituents with a mixture of weary resignation, bewilderment and fear. What is it we have failed to do? Ask many who have already done so much. Some small business owners who've invested heavily in stock for the season on which their livelihoods most depend have been literally in tears. Others have expressed alarm for the community. These are not the sunny uplands with long warm days of spring and summer ahead, rather the cold, wet, short, dark days of winter when the fear of isolation and loneliness presents challenges even without the addition of COVID. Now, second-guessing the difficult decisions the First Minister must take is, as we have seen, a fool's game. People understand that. However, what they do want from this government is practical, easily accessed support to keep their businesses and communities alive. And they tell me what they've heard so far does not cut it. So, First Minister, what more can we do and what more will the government do? For more it must be to ensure small local businesses survive and thrive. And importantly, that we do not find as this winter progresses Christmas besides that the anxiety and fear of isolation and loneliness has not been compounded such that a more predictable, terrible and tragic toll of self-harm in any of its forms is visited in our communities. First Minister. Um, every single decision I take, uh, whether people agree with them or not, whether I get it right 100% of the time or not, is taken uh, with the sole objective of trying to keep the country as safe as possible and get it through 
what I hope is now at the final stage of this pandemic uh, with as few lives lost and with as little harm to health and indeed with as uh, little harm to the overall economy as possible. Um, I understand the sentiment uh, that says if we do less to control the virus, uh, then things are better for the economy. Actually, the opposite ends up being true. If we don't properly control the virus, the damage to the economy becomes worse and it will be even longer lasting. Um, I know how difficult this will be for the local authorities, in, including um, in Renfrewshire, that will go into level four tomorrow. Um, I make the point again that the restrictions that will be in place in 11 local authority areas in Scotland from tomorrow, albeit the most populated parts of the country, these are the same by and large restrictions that are in the place in the entirety of England right now, without exception. Uh, every country is grappling with this. Many parts of uh, Europe right now have restrictions like this in place. And that doesn't make it easier, but I do think it is important that we all keep uh, sight of that overall uh, global perspective on this. In terms of business support, the, the grant support for businesses, and uh, these are now open for application um, uh, and uh, they match the support that's been made available by the UK government for businesses in England, but the discretionary funding we're making available over and above that, I, I understand uh, from what I understand to be the case in England, goes further than that and will give greater uh, flexibility to local authorities to enhance that support for businesses, whether in the supply chain or other businesses that don't fall into these categories. Um, and I know local authorities are working hard to get that support to businesses as quickly as possible. The final point I would make is, is this. Um, government's got a big responsibility to uh, make sure that we support businesses, but you know, nothing we can do will absolutely compensate business for every single loss that is made. And that's true in Scotland, England, Wales, Northern Ireland and across the world. The most important thing we can do for business is get and keep this virus down so that we can open uh, the, not just the economy, but society more and do that sustainably. And that is why uh, fundamentally it's in all of our interests to stick to these restrictions and get us through this remaining phase of the pandemic as quickly um, and with as little harm as possible. Thank you. Daniel Johnson to be followed by Kenneth Gibson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Uh, in recent days, Ian Murray and I have written to the First Minister on behalf of hospitality businesses in our constituency. These owners collectively run over 100 premises across the city and estimate that collectively almost 700 jobs have been lost already um, uh, uh, and with no other changes remaining in Level 3. They fear that 500 more will be lost with the continuation of these restrictions. In advance of a full response, can I ask the First Minister to consider one of their key requests? that business hours for hospitality, while maintaining a ban on alcohol sales, move from 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. to noon until 9, to enable two evening meal services. This small change could save half of the projected job losses. We all understand the need for restrictions, but the First Minister must surely agree with me that we must also review them to balance the economic cost of these public health measures. First Minister. Uh, yes, we will consider that uh, and we will consider that in good faith and, and properly as we will consider all uh, reasonable suggestions that come forward. I, you know, it, it, there is no part of me that wants to be doing things that is harmful to business. You know, I, the, the idea that I want to be doing this in some way is, is just ridiculous. And I know it's not what uh, the member is suggesting. Uh, I, I want to see us get out of this as quickly as possible. And I want to see us get through it with as little harm to life, health and the economy as we possibly can. Um, so we will consider all reasonable suggestions. Uh, we have to also, though, bear in mind uh, the, the reason for some of these restrictions. So in 
hospitality, um, as with some other restrictions, it is about, uh, to put it quite bluntly, reducing the number of people that are coming together. And so sometimes uh, changing the hours of those restrictions, while yes, I understand that that would be better for uh, business, it, it undermines that public health objective. So we have to come to a balance uh, there. And the, the final point I would make, which is the one that I, I know for businesses struggling now and, and anxious and stressed right now is a difficult one to grasp. It is about, not just now, but it's about how quickly we can get through this. And the point I made earlier on, that if we just ease up on restrictions, it's easier for the economy. Unfortunately, sometimes will become the opposite of that because it will take longer to get out of this. So I haven't yet seen the letter that Daniel Johnson refers to, but I will and I will respond to it fully and I give him the undertaking that we will look particularly carefully at the specific point he's raised today. Kenneth Gibson to be followed by Miles Briggs. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Can the First Minister state what impact the Chancellor's decision to scrap the job retention bonus will have? A decision condemned by the Federation of Small Businesses given that many had factored the £1,000 per worker kept on until January into their cash flow forecasts. Meanwhile, the six largest supermarket chains have awarded £1.3 billion in dividends to shareholders during the pandemic. Across the UK, Tesco alone had a half-yearly sales increase of 8.5% and profits of £1.2 billion, while enjoying rates relief of £585 million. The Welsh Government restricted such relief, securing £117 million for its Economic Crisis Fund. When so many small Scottish businesses are under pressure, she would not do something similar in Scotland. First Minister. Well, again, similar to the point um, I made to Daniel Johnson, we will consider all uh, reasonable suggestions. Uh, in terms of relief, though, as uh, members will be aware, the Scottish Government introduced uh, relief through legislation for a full year period uh, and were not able uh, to withdraw eligibility in year. Um, so we will take uh, decisions on uh, the future non-domestic rate support in the context of the Scottish Budget, which of course is uh, contingent on UK budget dis discussions um, and decisions. In fact, uh, we, uh, from the start of the pandemic, have tried to maximise the support we give to businesses uh, within the resources we have available, and that will continue to be the case. And of course, we will take into account the latest data about where the burden uh, is falling uh, greatest and try to make sure that our response takes that fully into account. Miles Briggs, be followed by Neil Finn. Thank you, Presiding Officer. My constituent, Heather Goodair, had a do not attempt uh, CPR imposed on her during a three-day stay in hospital following a minor stroke. Um, Ms Goodair had only discovered this when she actually left the hospital, and this was buried within her patient notes. Her daughter, Roseanne, had refused to sign the DNR uh, when first asked when she was admitted. First Minister, there's growing concerns being raised by campaigners regarding this practice and the human rights of vulnerable patients in Scotland. Age Concerns Chief Executive Brian Sloan has already called on the Scottish Government to launch an inquiry into this practice. Will the First Minister agree to do that today? And will the Scottish Government also agree urgently to act to insist that the forms are mandatory signed by a patient, a family member or someone with a power of attorney? First Minister. Um, I, I responded uh, to this question last week and yes, I, I will consider that. But, but I also think it's really important to be very clear that decisions in individual cases about end-of-life care uh, do not resuscitate, uh, cannot be for politicians to, to take. They are uh, discussions between individuals and clinicians. But what I can and have always been clear about, as has the Health Secretary, is that no one in any circumstances must, well, if, if Miles Briggs just lets me complete the, question, the, the answer, no one must ever be put under uh, pressure to do that. So if there are examples of it happening, and some have been sent to us before, uh, we will uh, take steps to investigate uh, those. Um, 
I uh, cannot be clearer uh, that that is happening, that that shouldn't be happening. And we will consider if there is evidence that it is happening in any kind of uh, systematic way, which I, I don't believe it is, but uh, even isolated incidents of it are not acceptable, then of course we will consider whether there is further action uh, we need to take to make sure that that doesn't happen, because it shouldn't happen. And I am absolutely clear and emphatic about that. Neil Findlay to be followed by Beatrice Wishard. Uh, thanks, President Officer. This week, West Lothian will move into Level 4. This means that visits to care homes can only take place once a home is clear of the last COVID case for 28 days. Last night, I was contacted by a family member whose mum was hospitalised yesterday and tested positive for COVID. Today, they have been told that she will be discharged to the care home positive for COVID. So are we back, are we back now to a policy where we are discharging COVID-positive patients back into care homes. And if we are, that means that there will be no visits to that home for 28 days. This is further evidence of the dreadful way that we have treated older people through the duration of this pandemic. First Minister. With the greatest respect, I, I don't accept that. No, there is not such a policy and there will not be such a policy. I, I clearly cannot comment on the individual case because I don't know the circumstances of that. If Neil Finlay uh, can make that available to me and to the Health Secretary after the session of First Minister's questions, we will uh, look into that um, and come back to him as quickly as possible. Uh, but there is no policy uh, of that nature uh, and nor will there be. Beatrice Wishart to be followed by John Mason. Beatrice Wishart. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Shetland students and their families are anxious about Christmas travel plans. Getting home to the Northern Isles isn't easy, it's expensive, and bad weather can often mean cancellations. This year there are added complications, understandable ones, because of the pandemic, with limited services and reduced capacity. In one of many emails I've received, a student writes, and I quote, we can no longer be left in the dark. We need to be treated like equals and have the promises from the government put in place at the same time the announcement. So will the Scottish Government recognise their need to plan in advance and issue urgent advice so that no student misses the boat? First Minister. Um, I think the uh, Higher Education Minister actually um, clarified this with uh, universities and uh, I think there was discussion with the, the NUS or student representatives representatives uh, on Tuesday uh, after we set out uh, these plans. Students uh, will be able to go home uh, for Christmas if they choose. The, we've put in place the plans, including testing, to make sure that is as safe as possible. Um, and the travel restrictions will not stop them doing that. That has been uh, made clear. The uh, exemptions uh, that I've set out uh, will be uh, there on the regulations. Um, there is some work to do uh, after the first uh, iteration of the regulations uh, to make sure that they align with the House restrictions um, but there is no dubiety about uh, the fact that the travel restrictions will not stop uh, students returning home for Christmas if they otherwise uh, are choosing uh, to do so. Um, more widely on public transport uh, and clearly this ha has a particular resonance in terms of, of travel to the islands. Uh, one of the things in indeed we discussed uh, on a Four Nations basis yesterday around Christmas generally is how we make sure uh, that plans uh, are aligned with public transport capacity and that in uh, with the best of intentions trying to give people the ability to come together a bit more at Christmas uh, we don't create uh, issues on the public transport network either issues of capacity or indeed infection risks uh, that's 
important for the country as a whole, but it's particularly important uh, for the islands. And I will make sure the Transport Minister uh, looks particularly at uh, ferry uh, capacity issues as we take these decisions. But I, I want to be very clear for students. Students will be able to go home uh, at Christmas. We are asking them to take all of the safety precautions. And of course, we're putting in place the arrangements to help them do that. John Mason to be followed by Liam Kerr. Thank you. As a supplementary on Freeports, uh, I wonder if the First Minister would accept that experience in the United States has been that uh, these mainly lead to relocation of existing jobs rather than new jobs. And this also happened in the UK in the 1980s. So would that be one of her concerns about Freeports? First Minister. Uh, yeah, that is one of the concerns and one of the things we've got to uh, look at uh, carefully. Uh, we're conscious of the risks uh, that have been highlighted and that is why we want to do full assessment and due diligence and not just uh, accept or decline uh, before we've had a chance to do that. We want to have thriving businesses in Scotland that meet uh, standards and fair work and contribute towards an inclusive green wellbeing economy. Um, so free ports, if they are to be implemented in Scotland, cannot simply be a vehicle for businesses uh, to avoid paying tax or get around planning permissions or other regulations uh, or just displace jobs from one area to another. That's why we're looking at the whole issue so carefully. Liam Kerr, to be followed by Ian Gray. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The SNP's effective ban on short sentences means most criminals convicted under the Emergency Workers Act never see the inside of a prison cell. So will the First Minister back Scottish Conservative plans to double the maximum sentence for assaulting an emergency worker? First Minister. Um, I, I make, a, uh, make a point of ensuring that I, I don't uh, rule out uh, suggestions that come forward. I, I think it's important to look at suggestions and in that spirit I will undertake to look at this. But I, I do, I have to say, have a, always a bit of a hesitation, uh, particularly around some, not all, some of these criminal justice policies from the Conservatives around short sentences, because uh, I think we do need to look at these things carefully. The vast majority of people in Scotland, I think, understand the reasons, uh, because it helps to cut crime, it helps to rehabilitate offenders uh, in having alternative sentences rather than short-term prison sentences, which often don't uh, meet those objectives. Uh, so we are absolutely clear, I think all of us, uh, in unanimity, across this chamber uh, about how abhorrent it is for anybody to attack an emergency worker. Uh, but we need to make sure that we have the right criminal justice policies in place that punish offenders, absolutely, but also contribute towards rehabilitation and cutting crime as well. Ian Gray to be followed by Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you. Uh, next week is the fourth annual Estranged Student Week, which seeks to raise awareness about family estrangement and the fact that these students face additional barriers to success due to financial pressure, accommodation challenges and poor mental health, all of course exacerbated by the pandemic. For example, going home for Christmas is not an option for many, if not most, of these estranged students. What additional specific support is the Scottish Government putting in place to help them? First Minister. Um, I understand that we have had discussions with the organisation uh, representing estranged students. I think these issues are really important. Um, when the Higher Education Minister outlined the plans for supporting students to go home for Christmas, I think he explicitly made uh, the, the obvious but very important and often overlooked point that for some students, university is home. Uh, and that is the case for uh, estranged students and also care experienced uh, young people and students. Uh, we are very clear about the responsibilities uh, universities have to give uh, proper support uh, to young people who will be staying uh, on campus over the Christmas period. And that is particularly important 
important um, at this point during the pandemic, even although it is important every year, uh, even in normal times. Um, given that I know there have been discussions, I will uh, arrange for uh, some correspondence to go to Ian Gray about the outcome of those discussions and any particular points that we've agreed to take forward um, as a result of them. But I, I hope he accepts the assurance today that we absolutely recognise the importance of this and want to make sure uh, that students in this position have the support that they need. And Alex Colhampton. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. The Royal Zoological Society of Scotland have signalled that a number of their staff have now entered the redundancy process. Put simply, the continuing restrictions on travel into and out of Edinburgh, caused by its Level 3 status, are a body blow to Edinburgh Zoo's pathway to recovery. They simply cannot sustain month upon month of reduced footfall while we wait for the vaccine. This Parliament has uh, saved the zoo once before with a cross-party effort. So will the Scottish Government now back the investment made by this chamber, extending further emergency funding to tide them through the winter months? Uh, well, the Scottish Government, uh, of course, did provide uh, funding uh, for the zoo and we will continue to consider how we support uh, Edinburgh Zoo and other organisations. I think while recognising uh, the difficulties uh, that many members are, are raising, uh, understandably, about the impact of the restrictions, we've all got to be very clear that it is not the restrictions that are causing this harm, it is the virus that is causing the harm. And therefore, we have to control the virus in order to minimise the harm to the economy and other organisations. That is really difficult for people uh, to accept and to grasp. This is a horrendously difficult situation, but that is the fundamental truth at the heart of this challenge we are going through right now. And in the midst of it, as we are uh, navigating our way through, as I said earlier, hopefully getting closer to the end of it, we will uh, continue to look at how we support those uh, that are bearing the burden, and that will undoubtedly include uh, Edinburgh Zoo. Thank you very much. And I'm afraid on that note, we have to finish First Minister's questions. We're going to suspend shortly and we'll be back at two o'clock. Parliament is suspended. <laughs>